0: It's great to see those kids running back, they just couldn't be happier, and some parents feel the same way. Um, I mean, let's be honest, that's right, it's true, right? Uh, so I was, a friend texted me this week, uh, and because it's, you know, it's been one of those weeks, you ever just have one of those weeks, and he said, how are you feeling? I said, I'm just kind of feeling blah, like I don't, I don't really, have, I, it's hard to, to know how to describe it. And he's like, well, do you think you could tell like the congregation that? And, and I was thinking, well no um, I, I can't, and I still can't. I can just tell you about um, uh, telling somebody else about it but um, and, and part of it was was because it's like it''s, it's again it 's like well, why what 's going on there? But one of my spiritual practices that I try to in, in include in my life is thinking regularly about the stories of Jesus, in particular when he was encountering somebody or meeting somebody. Um, and then who I might be in one of those stories. And so that came to mind um, in, as I was thinking about that, as a, as I was reflecting on this morning. And then I thought, maybe that's helpful to you as well in terms of how do we come in the space? How do you engage the space? How might Jesus actually want to engage you? So perhaps you're one of those people who, like when Jesus encountered on the mat needing healing Jesus asks the person, what do you want me to do for you? And perhaps you feel as if you're not sure, quite sure how to answer that question. Maybe you're like the woman in the stories and the gospels who is, who's been bleeding for years and has this condition that will not go away. And the only thing that she can do, the only strength she can muster up is to touch the corner of his robe. And maybe you're there this morning where all you can do is... Just touch the edge of Jesus's robe. Or maybe you're like Zacchaeus, who's heard about this Jesus. You want to know more about Jesus, and so you climb this tree, and you're looking at this Jesus, but you're also a tax collector. You are not wanted. You are looked down upon. You feel distant even from your own, from not just from Jesus, but also from your own people. But then Jesus stops and notices. So maybe you're that type of person. Maybe you're the person who who cannot even get to where Jesus is because there's a room and it's crowded, and then the only thing that his friends can do is to carry this person on a stretcher and bring him before Jesus. Maybe you're somebody this morning who needs to be carried by your friends to Jesus. I bring up these things to you because I wonder... Where I would love, honestly, like it's part of my dream as a pastor is to be able to sit down with every single person and say, like, where are you? Like, what is going on with you? I want to know that. Because I think that there are so many different stories, and it's easy to assume that we kind of need to leave those stories out there or in the car or at home or in like the recesses of our minds because we can't go there. But maybe, just maybe, in our conditions or in our distance or in our inability to get close to Jesus, Jesus still wants to be known and wants to know you. And so I say all of that because I want to pray and ask that Jesus might come toward you and that you might be open and willing to receive, receive this Jesus, receive and be open into an encounter with the risen Lord. Can we pray that together? Because I believe that Christ wants to meet us and he wants to meet us. It's easy to think that we should stop being a person when we get to church, but this is who we are. We are people, we are embodied, we have our lives and Jesus wants to sort of involve himself in all of that. So let's pray that Jesus would, let's pray that we would be open to that encounter with Christ. God, you are one who has shown that you are committed to us, committed to being with us. Speaking with us wherever we might be, in whatever we are, wherever we are, in whatever we've done. God, I think you need to speak some words of, of comfort to people this morning. I think you need to speak words of of, of promise that you, are, that you are near, that you have not gone. I think you need to speak words of grace, because some of us, God, I think are wanting to not remember or think about the reasons why. You may not want to be near us. God, we need you. We need your mercy. We need you to be the one who asks us the hard questions. We need you to be the one who finds us. We need you to be the one when we touch the edge of your robe, you stop everything and you come near to us. Thank you for being that type of God. Thank you for revealing yourself as that type of God in the person of Jesus and I ask that through your word this morning you might you might speak to us afresh that you might invite us that you might encourage us that you might challenge us to be the people you've called us to be and it's in Jesus name we pray amen if you want you can turn your bibles to Matthew 28 or if you don't want to why don't you turn your bibles to Matthew 28 Um, we're going to be looking at this famous passage, but we're, this, we're actually toward the end of a series uh, that, we've been, that we've been in since the beginning of May where we're, where we're talking about the type of people, the type of community, the type of church that we want to be, and that we desire to be people who are learning from Jesus how to live and love like Jesus with our life together formed around four practices. So again, we are wanting to be people who desire to learn from Jesus, how to live and love like Jesus with our life together formed around four practices. Those practices are welcoming, listening, following, and going. That in our life together that we are wanting to be people who embody, who live into, and who really practice this way of life together as disciples, as learners, as followers of this Jesus. So we've looked at welcoming, we've looked at listening, we've looked at following... This morning, we're going to focus on the practice of going. What does it look like to practice our going? What does that even mean? Um, In this sense of of people who are on mission, of people who are sent by God into the world. This is the practice we're going to be focusing on. And of course, this text this morning, Matthew 28, is a familiar text. It's a text that's often referred to as the Great Commission, It's these final words that Jesus gives to his disciples at the end of Matthew to commission them to go, to be sent out, to make disciples. So Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I love that. Multiple responses to the risen Lord Jesus where we find ourselves today. When they saw him, they either worship or they doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so this morning, I want to look at the God who sends the students with the calling and in the promise of presence. So the God who sends the students with the calling, and then the promise of presence. Now, as we look at this God who sends in this text of Matthew 28, really encapsulated in that go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, go, therefore, it's important to notice that this this sending actually finds itself within, within two realities, two promises. It's framed both within the authority of Jesus... Right As we see, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is recognizing the authority that has been given to him. And he's going to then authorize and send his disciples. But it's also, that's the beginning of the framing of this go therefore. But then the end we see, and remember, I will be with you always to the end of the age. So this commissioning, this sending to be people who go, finds itself within the authority and the presence of Jesus, so significant as we think about this practice of going that it finds itself within those two realities, the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why this is significant, because it reminds us that this practice of going, of being sent, of people who are on mission, so to speak, is something that we are involved in, that we are caught up in, that we as disciples don't make mission happen, but we are rather commissioned by a God who is already, always on the move, and a God who is already, always present. See, the sending itself finds, finds its intelligibility In the God who sends. And we see this in the unfolding narrative of scripture. If you'd like you can turn your Bibles to to Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to see another very popular common text of sending. From this God who sends a person named Abram who will become Abraham. Starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So again, back to the verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house so there's this sense in which being called by God assumes, being called or invited by God into life with God assumes ascending, a going out. Because this invitation as we move toward Jesus, we've received something from Jesus. We've received something from God and we are then therefore called because we are blessed to be a blessing. So God is a God who sends. He calls people toward Himself and sends them out with the promise of his presence as they go to be a blessing. Again, because they've been blessed. So, just again, notice that reality. It's because something has happened and has taken place, and because God's people or the disciples have received something, seen something, experienced something, that they then are given something to do. They don't make mission happen. They are caught up in what God is already doing. Now, if you remember from our time of Matthew, again, we went through the Gospel of Matthew last week, and we kind of see this play out in the Gospel of Matthew because Matthew is very intentional to, to talk about the presence of God among us in Jesus and then also the way of Jesus. So in Matthew 4, as we looked at last week, we see that Jesus comes to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is here, it's at hand, and then he calls his disciples, his apprentices his learners, to come and to follow him. And then right after that in Matthew 4, it says that Jesus then went to go proclaim the good news of the kingdom to people, which included teaching and also included healing. It included giving people an understanding of what this kingdom life was like, but then also to reveal and to show what this kingdom life was like. Healing people of disease opening those the eyes of the blind, bringing freedom to those who are oppressed. Again, there is both a teaching and proclamation component, but there is also a revealing and a formative component to, this, to what Jesus is doing. So that happens in Matthew 4, and then in Matthew 5 through 7, we see this teaching play out in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Then in Matthew chapters 8 and 9, we see that Jesus is on the move, actually healing. So he's now, what we're seeing in the book of Matthew is the way that Jesus teaches about kingdom life, but then the way that he reveals and shows the reality of the kingdom actually making its way into the present moment with actual on-the-ground facts of people being healed. But then in chapter 10, Jesus sends his disciples out to do the same thing. Now, we see this in the life of Jesus play out with his disciples, that he calls, he teaches, he shows, and then he sends. This is what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus. If you want, you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Starting in verse 1. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority. Here's the authority again over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 of apostles. First Simon, also known as Peter and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. So here in Matthew 10, after showing the disciples the type of life, kingdom life, teaching them, but also revealing it, he then gives them the task. But this task is actually relegated first to the people of Israel. But here in Matthew 28, it becomes expanded to all nations. But the format or the form and the, the, the way that it plays out is very similar. Jesus authorizing the disciples to go out and to do and to go because of what has already happened in Jesus. So why does all this matter? Why bring up Matthew? Why bring up God um, in Genesis being a God who calls and then sends And again, I'm going to keep coming back to this because God is a God who sends. God is a God who calls and who sends. And the sending takes place in the already reality of God's kingdom. We've been given a calling. We've been given a task because God is the one who is on the move. The mission that we've been given is God's mission. And we will see, as the story continues to unfold, as we think about the book of Acts, that this is a spirit-involved, spirit-filled reality of mission. Now, this is an important place to start because it's often easy to think as Christians, I need to get something to happen. I need to be on mission. But if we're disciples, If we're learners of Jesus, the reality is you already are. The question is, are you aware of it and are you living into it? If we are Christ's disciples, we have been authorized and we have already been sent out. But are we, as Christ's disciples, aware of that calling and living in to that calling? And so that takes us to the students with a calling. Again, the word students, replacing the word disciple with students, because it is the sense of learning from Jesus, of apprenticing with Jesus, that because we are Jesus' students, we have a role. We have a task. We have a calling. Now, as we think about Matthew 28 again, where it says, Go, therefore, and make disciples... The way that this can be translated is actually like in your going or as you go. Again, the assumption is it's already happening. You already are going. And so as you go, as you go as a parent, as you go as as a professional, as an executive, as a creative, as an athlete, as a friend... As a worker, wherever you might be, as you go, this is what you do. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teach all that I've commanded you. So there are three dimensions of this calling. Proclamation, formation, and then compassion. So what does it look like to be called as a person who goes What does it look like to be in our going? What are we doing? Proclamation, formation, and compassion. So what do I mean by these three things? So proclamation. Well, we see how Jesus proclaimed. Guess what? Look what's happened. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and that it's real and something has taken place. We are given that task that calling in our going to proclaim that the world is indeed different than perhaps the way that we thought it was. The kingdom of God has come near. There is a king. There is a Messiah. There is a Lord. That is the true story of the world. These are to be the things that we proclaim both in our words, but also in the way that we live and also that there is a better way. There is a better way. These aren't just new things to think, but these are actually things to proclaim in our going with the people that were around to one another, but then to those who are not yet disciples, to those who have not yet been baptized. And that idea of baptism, yes, it is immersion in water, but it's, what that's representing is an immersion in the Trinitarian life with God. What we are doing is actually involving people in this new reality of the Father, Son, and Spirit in the kingdom of God that is breaking into the present. We are to proclaim that with our mouth. We are to tell that to people. We are actually to tell that to people. I think there are good and worse ways of proclaiming that. Of course, it should happen in the context of relationship. Last night, I was out to dinner, which was a, which was a great change to like the last 14 months. Um, and uh, I, we were, my wife and I, we were sitting down, and we all of a sudden heard somebody um yelling very loudly, and what they ended up yelling, and they were walking up and down the promenade in downtown and and down third street, is they were yelling about God's judgment, and they were yelling about um, the need to repent, and they were they were screaming and yelling about just the, the things that have that that we everybody needs to do. Now these are the things that you know and you've experienced, and you kind of feel attention about, right? You feel attention because some of the things that are said, you're like, yeah, I know that language. That's actually kind of my, I, I have that language, but I'm not just, I'm just not sure in the way that it's being portrayed that I, I totally feel that. There was one moment when somebody we were eating next to, um, not, well, they weren't with us, did not feel good about what was being yelled or said and told the person to shut up. Then the person responded with, Are "You telling God to shut up?" And then there was like this, like this. I just want to eat beechwood. Like honestly, that's just, um, I had these two moments where it's like I felt like given my profession that I wanted to go tell the people who were offended say, "Like I'm a pastor and I'm sorry," um, but I also wanted to go tell the person who was yelling, like, like I. Okay, I get it, but can we talk maybe about, like, other ways to do this? Like, is there there a better way? Like, there's just, like, this sense of tension. But I think the proclamation reality is something that we are called to do. And I think because we know, and it's in front of our faces, perhaps the poor ways or the non-relational ways of going about that, that actually keep us from perhaps learning or discovering other helpful ways to proclaim but it's still part of the calling that we've been given as Christ's disciples is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom that there is a king, there is a Messiah, that there is a whole new way that the world is to work, and that we are called in our repentance to stop and to take seriously that reality and to turn our lives and live in response and in step with that kingdom. So, proclamation that's one dimension of our calling. Secondly, formation. This gets at the teaching component. Teaching those, teaching every, everything that I've commanded you. That we don't just simply involve people into the Trinitarian life with God and all that the kingdom has to offer, but that we are actually learning together what that looks like. That there is a formative aspect to this, both in the teaching, but also in our living and in our practicing. See, we bring others we bring others to the rabbi, to, the, to Jesus, to learn from Jesus. Sometimes discipleship, it, we, we get mixed up in our talking about it because the, what I feel like I'm called to do to disciple others is to make people disciples of me. And trust me, you do not want disciples of me but we are called to make disciples and the implication in that word is that we are making disciples of Jesus, that we are disciples and including and inviting others to be disciples of the Jesus who is discipling all of us. To the Jesus who is teaching all of us. What I am doing is wanting to proclaim the good news of the kingdom and let other people know there is this teacher, there is this way, there is this king There is this Lord who offers the best possible way of grace and mercy and what it means to live the good life. And his name is Jesus. And I want to learn with you what it looks like to follow after this Jesus. So there's proclamation. There's formation. There is a teaching component. We are teaching one another but it's not just somebody who has the most amount of knowledge that is then authorized to teach. It's, no, I teach you and you teach me because we are learning together from this person of Jesus. I need your voices. I need your instruction. If you are seriously following Jesus in my life, because I need to learn more fully and more wholly, W-H, more wholly what it means to follow, this rabbi, this teacher. And then finally, compassion. So this calling, proclamation, formation, and then compassion. Now, where do I get this from Matthew 28? Because it doesn't talk about compassion. But what it does say is teaching all that I have commanded you. And I do think that the compassion The least of these is a really important and significant part of the life of Jesus that we are then called to live into in our going, that we are to be concerned with those whom Jesus concerned himself with, those who were on the edges, those who were on the margins, those who felt like they had no place. This was a really central piece of the ministry of Jesus. So in our proclamation, in our formation, we are also people who are to be moved by the compassion of Jesus to bear witness to the reality of the kingdom to those who need to hear the good news. The good news that Jesus has come and that it does mean good news for those who thought they didn't have a place. Again, Matthew 4. Jesus went throughout Galilee, this is verse 23, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics, and he cured them. These are people with conditions that kept them on the fringes of society. Now in our going... We are called to bear witness to the compassion of Jesus and it is part of what it means to live into our calling. We are sent to those who thought they didn't belong. And that is fundamental to the character of God. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 10. So now, O Israel, starting in verse 12, what does the Lord your God require of you? only to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his decrees that I'm commanding you today for your own well-being. So again, this is in step with the heart and the character of God. Remember the two commandments that Jesus said were most important, to love God and love neighbor. And so it's important in our going, in our calling, that our love of neighbor, our living into his compassion, is part of what it is we're doing. And then it continues in Deuteronomy chapter 10. For the Lord your God, this is 17, is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awesome, who is not partial and takes no bribe, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and who loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. Him alone you shall worship. To him you shall hold fast, and by his name you shall swear." So much of the worship of God and our connecting to actually walking in the ways of God is to embody and bear witness to the heart of God, which finds itself at work in the ways that we are fulfilling our calling and extending the compassion and the good news of the kingdom to, again, those who are less than. The widow, the orphan, the stranger, the other. See, to proclaim and teach is to be immersed, again, in the life of God and all that he has said and all that he has asked. And what does this look like? Where does this start? Where Father Gregory Boyle is an important voice for me and at least thinking and learning how to, what does it, what what does this mean? How do I actually live into the compassion that Jesus is calling us into. And he says this, and this is something that I've, I've gone back to many times. Um, the strategy of Jesus is not centered in taking the right stand on issues. And there have been a lot of issues. There have been a lot of issues to take stands on. Always, for, forever, but certainly in like the last 14 to 15 months. The strategy of Jesus is not centered in taking the right stand on issues, but rather in standing in the right place. With the outcast and those relegated to the margins. So it's not like, what's the, what, what's the, like, where do I need to be in this issue? No, it's the question is like, but are, are you in the right place? Are you standing in the right place? Are you standing with among those, according to Father Boyle, on the margins? This is perhaps the first step in what it looks like to be people who live into our calling of compassion. So, proclamation, formation, compassion, three dimensions. And I know that there are probably hundreds, of, hundreds more of those. But we, we, uh, we have a clock, people. Like we are we're on time. So, I'm going to give you three proclamation, formation, and compassion. And you can let me know the other ones that you think are important. Um, and it would be great to have a conversation about that. Then, finally, the promise of presence. So we've looked at the God who sends the students with the calling, and then we're going to end with the promise of presence. Now we're going to end again with the ways that that God has framed this commissioning with his authority, but then also finally with his presence. Because our going, our being on the move, our mission together as God's people, which is together, by the way, God sends out the 12 disciples. God sends out two by two. Here he's authorizing these 12 disciples and sends them out. The implication is, as a church, as followers of Jesus, there's multiple. And in our going, there's also a group component, a communal dynamic to that reality. But it can only be understood in reference to a God who is always with us. If we are not living into our calling as people who go, who are on the move, as those who trust that God is with us, then we will think that it's only about our own strength and all the things that we are able to do or not able to do. The beautiful reality of what God has made possible in the person of Jesus and the giving of his spirit is that the promise of, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have a God who is committed to being with us to the end of the age. In our proclamation, in our formation, and in our going out and having compassion, what provides the resources and the actual possibility to make this happen is because we believe in a God who is with, who empowers, who strengthens, who nourishes with his presence. And this presence is faithful, and this presence is ongoing, and this presence has always been. So if you hear any sort of challenge in this sermon, man, I just need to be, I need to be, and you feel actually energized perhaps and moved to to go and to do and to be, amen to that and do it remembering that you are not called to manufacture something that isn't happening. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It has already begun and has already started. We are not called to make mission happen. We are called to discern where is God on the move and to jump in. Thank you, Api, who's not here for being that example. Where, what is God up to? What is he doing? And to jump in and to go and to proclaim and to teach and to help be formative and to reveal and to show compassion. Again, Jesus authorizes those that he sends, and he's also committed to being with them. Jesus is committed to being with us in the task that he's given us to do. And I am excited as a church, as a community of people who are learning to be formed around these practices, that as we think seriously together about where God is sending us, that we would feel empowered to do it, that we would feel encouraged and excited because God is on the move. Amen to that. God is on the move. And the crazy, crazy truth is that and God knows far better than I, but if I were, if he, we, this would not be true, is he, invo- he involves us. There, is, there are way faster ways for God to get the job done. And way cleaner ways. But God says no. I am inviting you and I am sending you and it is through you empowered by the spirit that we are going to bear witness to this kingdom that has taken place. That is an incredible gift and an opportunity that we've been given. So let's be a people who are excited to discern what God is up to and how we might be people who then jump into that. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to the God who, is, who has authorized us, who is present with us, for the God who is on the move no matter what. Um, worship team, you can come up. Often we try to make opportunity and create space uh, for people um, who want to be prayed with or want to be want to be prayed for, and that's there's an opportunity to have that this morning. I'm going to actually ask if you'd like, or not if you'd like. I'm going to ask the prayer team to go to the sides, please. Um, and those of you who maybe again, what connected to you was the different were the different pictures of, of where you might be in terms of Jesus wanting to en- engage you or meet you, um, and that stuck with you. Perhaps there was something that was said in the sermon uh, that connected and that you, I don't know, you need, you, you need prayer um, for, or something that maybe was, that came to, to memory as a result of that. Whatever it is, prayer is one of those ways um, that Christ can, can meet us, uh, that Christ can encourage us, that Christ can bless us. So if you feel so moved um, in that direction, again, the prayer team will be on the sides. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we'll continue in our worship together. Um, If I had known that Daniel was going to share a story about a uh, street preacher yelling at people having dinner... I probably wouldn't have picked a song where the lyrics are, shout it, scream it from the mountains, go on and tell the masses that he is God. But that's where we are. So (laughs) that's what we're going to do. Maybe we'll start with a different part of the song.